Romans 8.28 For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Does not mean that everything is good. Does not mean that everything that happens to anyone is good. And it does not mean that death is not good. Think about it. I've heard that verse preached so many times and a hundred percent of the time it was out of context. If you actually read the book of Romans, especially Romans chapter 8, it's talking about the followers. <laughs> this is not a public service announcement proclaiming in the town square, for we know that all things work together for good, ringing the bells, all things work together for good. Really? Is that what you think it means? Did all things work together for good for the Canaanites? For Haman, who tried to kill Mordechai and the Jews? For Adolf Hitler? <laughs> for Nero and the Romans? How about the Pharisees? Did all things work together for good for them? No. And I'll take it a step further. Because what is all things and what is for good? See, too many of you have a Disney worldview of the scriptures. You think happily ever after means that Adonai delivers you from persecution that leads to execution. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which are really called Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah before they got Babylonianized. Sure, they got saved from the fire and Daniel got rescued from the den of lions, but is that really deliverance? Does that where deliverance begins and ends? Because if so, then I guess that Yeshua wasn't delivered. After all, he was crucified. And not to mention his disciples. We know Peter was crucified upside down. <laughs> Paul also ended up in a horrible death after he was stoned a bunch of times, survived shipwrecks and lashing and gnashing and you name it. So... If all things work together for good, according to what you think, meaning God will deliver you, then why did Peter get crucified upside down? No, you have to have some understanding of the word of God. But first off, you have to remember what I said earlier. This is not a public service announcement. This does not talk to everyone. Paul did not write these letters to be posted on public domain and the toilet walls of the internet. Now, he was addressing some very specific people whom he knew. He does not know you. This letter is not for you. It's called Romans because it was sent 
for the Messianic believers, the followers of Yeshua living in the Roman community. That's why it is called Romans. It's not for you. Just because your name might be Roman or just because you are a descendant of the Roman Empire does not mean that this letter refers to you. Again, starting from the beginning of the chapter, he's talking about those in whom the Spirit of God dwells and lives, those who have been dying to self as a living offering for the work of Yeshua the Messiah, those who have been putting their fleshly desires to death in order to be living in the Spirit, to not follow the flesh, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. That is not most of you. Very few people have I ever met that actually have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them because they never committed themselves to God. Especially in this end of days when the heart of many waxes cold and the rebellious one has deceived so many of you into thinking you are followers when you really are not. Through all this religious indoctrination, all these church services and the TBNs and the prophetic timeline, you get so consumed with all this knowledge that you forget you are not a follower. So again, who is he talking about? For we know that in all things God works for good. Not everything is good, but in all things God works for good. Meaning, in that persecution, in that execution, if you truly are a child of God, if you truly are a follower, if you truly are his servant, if you walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh, if you live as a living offering daily and do what he commands you, do what he says, if he told you to be in that pit, he will bring something good out of it. That's all that it means. And yet, it doesn't mean that everything is good. If you're crucified upside down, is that good? No. But in that, God can bring something good. Now you might be asking, how can anything good come out of me being crucified upside down? Well, again, you got to have the right insight and understanding for hope for things unseen, as written in this chapter that I have just told you, Romans 8, for the resurrection. But if you don't even believe in the word of God, if you don't put your trust in the Lord, then you're never going to get it. Because he never said that we will have a good life on this side of eternity. No, he said we will suffer. Consider it not strange regarding this fiery trial that are upon you. In this world you will have troubles, but rejoice, for I have conquered the world. The true blessings, the true rewards are not going to be coming on planet Earth in the modern age. No. Here we will surely suffer and be executed. That's a given. The rewards come later. So how can God bring anything good out of you being crucified upside down? Well, you're going to have a better resurrection. It is said many times in the scripture, those who are beheaded, those who suffer, those who are executed for the sake of the word of God, Revelation 6, 9, the souls of those who have been put to death for proclaiming the word of God, that is for bearing witness, preaching the truth, they would receive a better resurrection. Yeshua said he comes to pay each man according to his deeds. 
going to heaven is not going to heaven. Nobody goes to heaven. You're so Christianized and indoctrinated with religion. Nobody goes to heaven. You die. You are in Sheol waiting for the resurrection. When you are resurrected, you are back on planet Earth for another thousand years, mind you, to have Torah written on your heart, to be cleansed completely, to be completely blameless, to have Torah in your very essence of being prior to you even being eligible to enter the presence of Adonai, so that then you can come into his marriage supper of the Lamb, which is the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua said the kingdom of heaven is likened to a wedding banquet. It's not a wedding banquet, it is likened. That is the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's now two events. That's the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, adorned as a bride. Think about it. In the parable, we are the guests. <laughs> Think about it. We are not even the bride. We are the guests. He said, the people who were invited originally well, they said, I left the water running in my bathtub. So Adonai said, forget about them. Bring in everybody from the street, the good, the bad, the ugly. But then, when there was one man found not wearing his wedding attire, he was kicked out, thrown into the outer darkness. Why? Because he did not have Torah written on his heart. He was invited, many are, many proclaim, but then, did you actually write the Torah on your heart? Did you actually keep the commandments? Well, we're going to have a thousand years of preparation. Just like Esther, 12 months of sanctification before being presented to the king. We will have a thousand years to write Torah on our hearts. And yet not everybody will. Because God does not revoke your free will. So if you have free will, some will not will. And that's their choice. But to those who do, that's what it says in Revelation. Those who wash their robes. You have to wash your own robe. Nobody's washing it for you. You wash your robe. Yeshua provides the blood in which you wash it, but you have to wash it. Yeshua is the beginning. You proclaim, you confess, you give yourself up as an offering, and you follow him. He said, follow me. Where? Into the holy place. If you know anything about Vaikra, the tabernacle, in the entrance to the tabernacle was the altar of burnt offerings. Then there was the mikveh, the sanctification, the washing. Then there was the holy place with the menorah and the showbread and the altar of incense that went up to represent the prayers. The bread represents the word of God. The menorah represents the spirit, the oil, the light. Follow him into the holy place so that you yourself become holy with the word of God and the inside of you. So that then, once you are ready, you can enter the Holy of Holies and be united with the Father in His kingdom, which is likened to a wedding banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem, where we will dwell with Him forever and ever, as living stones in His temple. We are the temple. He will dwell in us in the new Jerusalem. So Romans 8.28, it doesn't refer to everyone, nor does it refer to anyone. It refers specifically for those who are actually doing His will. 
and it doesn't mean that everything you suffer is good. No, it means that through everything that you suffer, God will bring something good, given that you are called according to His purpose, not your own. Many religious people pervert this. I have seen it. All these mega church preachers. Oh, God has blessed me. No, He hasn't. You are blessed by the devil, not from God. God does not do that. And then when they suffer, they lose faith because they realize, where is God? Well, you were never with God in the first place. <laughs> those whom God helps are those who are called according to his purpose. If God did not call you, if he does not ordain your steps, you really are wasting your time. You're trying to get there on your own strength and your own merit. It's not going to work. Remember what Yeshua said, many will come to me on that day and they will tell him, well, did I not preach in free chapel for 40 years? Did I not lead many people to repentance in the Harvest Crusade? Did I not play worship music on Sunday morning at a, you know, Saddleback Church? And he's going to tell them, away with you, workers of Torahlessness. I never knew you, you and your Harvest Crusades and your Saddleback Church and your you name it. You've never belonged to God. You never had His Spirit dwelling in you. You never fulfilled His purpose. You never completed His will. You treated Him as a side dish. Something on the side that you just get a sample of while you continue to eat your appetizer, main course and dessert. Your life does not surround around God. He's not the center of your life. He is just a spice that you add to the mix to give yourself a little positivity, a little positive encouragement. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. Posting those scripture cards, you don't even know what it means. Again, who is he talking to? Not you. That was for Israel at a very specific time in their journey. Because in other times, he said, I have plans for you to uproot you, to destroy you, to send you into exile, to kill those outside by the sword and those on the inside from famine and disease. <laughs> but I don't see any of you posting that verse up on your cubicle. You live in a fantasy. You do not observe the word of God. I don't know why you don't get it, but you don't. You are not a follower. You are not legitimate. You are not saved. You are not in the family. You are not a child of God. And all things will not end up good for you. Because you are not called according to His purpose. You are doing your own. So repent and turn yourself around. As long as you can remember to head towards the light, you'll never go wrong. Inside you're still human beings. You all can come back from the dark side. But it won't be easy. And make sure that you don't remain sleazy. Because this is serious business. As much as I like to make some rhymes, this is serious business. This is your life. And no one is responsible for it but yourself. 
You've received the warnings. You heard the truth. Whatever you do with it is up to you. Repent. Because he is coming. He is coming. And he is coming to pay each man according to their deeds. Hallelujah.